Hey, welcome to the uh, Holy Shift Podcast. I'm Scott Neal, your host. And on this episode, I have interdenominational speaker, contributor for Religion News Service, Christianity Today, Newsweek, and The Barna Group. She is also the host of Viral Jesus, a podcast with Christianity Today. She is an associate professor of communication at Andrews University and runs an online community called I'm That Wife, which has over 200,000 followers. She is the author of seven books, including It's Not Your Turn, which we're going to get to in just a few minutes, and Confessions of a Christian Wife. She resides in Michigan with her husband, Seth, and their three children, London, Hudson, and Sawyer. I'm talking about Dr. Heather Thompson Day. Welcome, Dr. Day. I am excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I am glad you are. I imagine you are in uh, full teaching right now at the university. Is that right? Yeah. So I just finished a class 10 minutes ago. Oh, you did. Okay. Yes. Well, thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule to uh, talk with us. Absolutely. Um, you're excited about the upcoming holiday season? I am so excited. We finally got a house. Oh, good. So my my prayer for the last three months has been, please let me have a home by Christmas, Lord. And so oh, we should be able to have Christmas in our home. So I'm excited about that for oh, my kids. Oh, that's wonderful. And you are, you're living in Michigan now. We just moved to Michigan three months ago. Oh, yeah. Okay. You were in Colorado. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We were in Denver. Yeah. So the uh, weather's already changing there. The, the Michigan weather yeah. is doing what Michigan weather does. <laughs> yeah. Right? Making you beat your chest to the heavens and cry out to the Lord. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. Well, we're in North Carolina, so uh, we're kind of close to the beach. So our weather isn't, uh, it hasn't changed too much. But I grew up in Indiana, so. I, oh. Oh, yeah, really? Yeah. So. so where I am in Michigan is only like 25 minutes from um, Indiana, from oh, Notre okay. Dame. Yeah. Oh, great. We're right by the Notre Dame border. Oh, yeah. Well, I certainly miss the fall weather with all the changing leaves and and uh, the cool weather. We don't have a, as many seasons, it seems like here. So You can have it, Scott. You can come and take it. Take it off my hands, please. Yeah. Well, my, my son lives in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, he's, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's on staff at Church Unlimited there with Bill Cornelius. And Wonderful. Uh, yeah. So it's hot there all the time. Right. So he, he's missing uh, he's missing North Carolina right now because to him, we have a lot more seasons than he does. Right, so, yeah. right. So anyway, hey, before we get started, I just want you to know, I, I think I could speak to you all day about communication and leadership and scripture and teaching at the university level on and on. And uh, you just have so many things that I want to kind of get into and just learn from you today. So uh, this you. is a real, real honor. And congratulations, by the way, on your, your book. Uh, it's not your turn. I believe it's in its fourth printing. Is that right? Yeah, I'm super excited about that. This book has already exceeded all of my expectations when I wrote it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're just in the overflow process of yeah. it now. Well, that's great. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, reading through it, I can, I can see why it is so well Thank received. You so much. Yeah. Extremely you. practical, very encouraging, challenging at times. Uh, but you, you bring it around in such a unique way and it's filled with great stories and it just keeps the, the author, the uh, reader's attention. So you've done a great job with it. So I'm, Thank I'm you glad. So much. I, I hope it goes into fifth or sixth printing. So I hope so yeah, too. That would be incredible, Lord. Yeah. And by the way, those of you who are uh, listening and this, maybe this is your first time being exposed to, uh, to Heather, please go by uh, heatherthompsonday.com and you can order a signed copy of her latest yeah. book. So uh, maybe some folks will take us up on that. and That go. would be wonderful. Yeah, that'd be great. All right. Hey, we're going to jump into this book. I have it right here with me. Uh, it's not your turn. And let me give a quick overview of what the book is about. And of course, Heather, if I don't do, a, do it justice, you certainly can, can jump okay. in and, and make a correction on that. But I'll, I'll do it this way. All right. Those of you who are listening and, and you've, not, you've not picked up this book, here, here are a few questions to kind of set this up. Have you ever watched other people have their dreams fulfilled and you feel like you're, you know, just sitting on the sidelines going, when, when is it going to be my turn, God? You know, why is it that other people seem to, you know, succeed in their business and, 
you know, this is my third attempt and it's not happening. Or why am I always a bridesmaid and never a bride? And you've got right. all the dresses hanging in your closet. And you're just you're just wondering, when am I going to get the appreciation I deserve? And it's not that you're, you know, necessarily so prideful, but you've worked hard. And right. other people seem to get the applause and, and you don't. Have you ever, you know, sat down and, and just said, okay, God, if I could have a conversation with God, I'd say, God, what's up? Uh, are you even paying attention to me down here? That That's kind of what Heather's book addresses. Isn't that correct, Heather? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what she addresses in here. And it's, she just does a, a wonderful job getting into where we're living asking these very same questions. And what I love about this book, Heather, is that, you know, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for nearly 30 years and I ask the same questions uh, and, and someone coming into our church for the very first time are asking the same questions. It doesn't matter how long you followed uh, Christ, uh, whether you're in ministry full time or whether you are, uh, you know, starting a business or you're a mom, stay at home mom of three or four kids. You ask the same questions. So this book really hits everybody. Uh, where they live. So I think that's the reason it's resonated so much with me. So uh, anyway, I want you to uh, pick up the book. Everybody who's there listening, pick it up, read it, buy an extra copy if you can, uh, give it to a friend. We got holidays coming up would be a great yeah. gift to give some folks. So, all right, here, here's how, what I want to do, Heather, I want to walk through, I'm only going to be able to get not even halfway in, into the book. And, uh, you know, I've got the book marked up. I've got questions, uh, kind of in the margins of the book, things that I want to, um, you know, explore more and, and talk more about. So I'm going to just kind of walk through a few things in the chapters and get a little bit more in depth uh, of your thoughts. Okay. Okay. All right. In, in chapter one, it's actually called, it's not your turn as you kind of set the book up. I, I love this part in, in chapter one, you say you can't control your circumstances, but you can control how you show up to them. Would you talk to us just a little bit about the idea of showing up? Yeah, I think I just came to a point in my life where I realized I have to just be faithful to what's in my hand. Yeah. And if I spend all of my energy always looking to at what should be in my hand right now, I'll miss what is for me in this space right here. And if nothing ever happens for me other than what's in my hand right now, how do I show up for them? Yeah. How do I show up for the for what God has put within my reach? And for me, that looked like teaching my classes. Hmm. And so that's what I started doing. I started to just every single day when I walk in a classroom, and I still do this now, four years later, when I walk in a classroom, if I get on a podcast interview, I just have this mental conversation with myself where I say, you are going to do this thing as if it's the most important thing you will ever do in your entire life. Hmm. We are on Good Morning America right now in my mind. And that's how I walk into every room as if God sent me there. I think part of, for me, that's what it means to be a servant with a master hmm. is to say, this is what is in my hand, master. And so how do I serve these things with integrity, with intentionality, with passion, so that you can say, well done to me. It's not about even necessarily moving past them anymore. The purpose comes from doing the work. Yeah, that's so good. And has that always, I, I don't imagine it's always been easy for you to do that. No, that's the whole point of the book <laughs> right. is that, man, I, I wasn't doing it at all. Right. I, in fact, I was missing so many beautiful moments probably that were nestled into my everyday life that I couldn't see because I was always looking past them. I'm a future oriented person. Mm. And, and I, I don't know if I've, I don't even know that I've changed. Um, I know I've developed better coping mechanisms. I know that I have the self-talk and the conversation with myself every single day. And, and because I've seen so much fruit from living this way, I would say that is what's changed me. I don't, hmm. I don't know if even like my natural heart's desires have all of a sudden become this beautiful, <laughs> godly, holy thing. I think what's happened for me is I've had so many experiences at this point where I saw that it mattered that I no longer have the luxury of pretending like it doesn't. Mm. When I, I've had so many students that will circle back and say that conversation is what changed my life. That conversation is what made me call off my wedding. That conversation is. And so then I'm like, I have to just keep showing up as if this matters to God, as if I'm here on assignment because it does matter. Yeah. The reality is if we have any type of interaction with another person, it matters. Right. Because we're social creatures. Yep. And we impact one another. 
And so how do we bring life and light and joy and peace into rooms and hope? And for me, hope is just incredibly important. And how do I help give hope to people who feel hopeless? That is a personal responsibility, I think, of my ministry. Yeah. I love in, in, in the book, you you made a couple comments about how, you know, you do take everything seriously, whether it's a conversation with just someone in the hallway or, you know, whether just like you said, you, you look at this as like being on the Today Show. And, yeah. and that really challenged me, you know, as a pastor sometimes, you know, it's a confession moment. But, you know, sometimes I especially earlier in my ministry, I just kind of judged, you know, is this conversation really going to move the football down the field? Or is this going to be just, you know, another prayer request someone's going to give me, and it's really not going to matter that much. And, you know, I've had to remind myself often that that, that is certainly not not the way to live. And just reading through your book, it, it, it really opened my eyes again to that. It reminded me of the importance of, you know, every interaction I have with someone. Does it matter? No, no interaction's minor. Yeah. You know? And so because of that, I think it helps us all live life with meaning, Yeah, you know, cause that's the number one question my students say is what is my purpose? Why mm-hmm. am I here? It doesn't feel like none, any of this matters. It matters when you believe you matter. Yeah. And when you start living your life, like you matter, you realize how much you do, because at least in my experience, and I, I would invite everybody to test this theory in my experience, people circle back mm-hmm. because something happens when you try to co-labor with Christ and connect with the Holy Spirit and start saying, I'm on an assignment when I enter a room. And again, we're not doing these things in our own strength. I am a big believer in time with God before I do anything. Right. That's great. Well, I, I, it was a wonderful way to open your book, and it Thank was you. yeah, it was very challenging uh, and encouraging at the same time. In, in chapter two, uh, page fifteen, you 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 begin. It's called it, it's it's your turn to wait. And I'm, I'll tell you, I wish I could have met your nana. Yeah. <laughs> what an incredible lady. You know, I had a grandmother in my life who was very instrumental in just my, my spiritual development. And I spent so much time with her. And in reading through that, you, you mentioned she had 10 children, single mother, living in the inner city of Boston. She had a dream of getting into college or getting a college education. And she went for it, attending Harvard at 70 years of age. Yeah. That is unbelievable. What kind of influence did she have in your life? So, you know, I didn't grow up knowing her. She had Alzheimer's by the time I was a child, Um, but I am very close with my dad. And so I've always grown up with these stories Mm -hmm. of her. And I just remember many times in my own PhD program when I'm, I just felt like I could, I'm, you are not smart enough. You are not going to make it Um, on like the fifth revision that they send back to you. It was just such a grueling process. And I just remember thinking of her and how, wow, like, again, we matter, right? Like the choices she made impacted her children and then impacted her grandchildren who she didn't even have a personal really relation. I mean, I'm sure she knew me as a child. I don't have those memories. But so the choices that this one person made 50 years before were directly impacting the choices I was making in my own PhD program now. And so again, it was just this reminder of how like we are always connected to this larger story. And sometimes, and this is why I'm committed to telling story and I invite other people to tell the story. You may never write a book. You always have a story and you always have a way to impact somebody else. And you have no idea how the story you tell becomes a story that somebody else repeats within themselves later. And so let's be an, I, I'm, I'm really big on writing things down as we experience them, writing dates and prayers and just having this record of my spiritual development, my spiritual walk with Christ so that I know my testimony yep. when the opportunity arises to share it with somebody else. Yeah, that's great. Well, that was so in- inspiring. And I was thinking, yeah. man, how incredible. I mean, to go back to school in, in, in her 70s and raise 10 children. And yeah, the way that you 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 line that out about how her, the decision she made and the willingness to go back to school and all these different things is impacting you as an adult in your PhD program. So that, I just, that, I can't wait to go to heaven and have these conversations <laughs> because I, I bet you she has, she would have had no idea. Yeah. You know how that choice that you make yep. affects people f- generations later. Yeah. And that goes back to what you said a moment ago about every conversation mattering. You, you really have no yes. idea the conversation you have in, in a coffee shop with someone just to encourage this one person in this one moment. And then it just reverberates. Scott, you just saying that I was just talking to my students about this. So I just remember this one time, this is probably two or three years ago. I was meeting with a group of students. We were all just feeling in a, a, 
disconnected space spiritually. And so we started meeting together for breakfast once a week. And at this breakfast, we were having a conversation of just about how we felt like God had brought us together. Mm-hmm. And the next day I had an email from a student who was sitting one booth over from us. And they said, I was feeling incredibly disconnected and I asked God to send me someone. And then I happened to sit right next to your booth and I listened to the conversation that you guys are having. Can I join you guys for breakfast next week? And I was, it was just another thing where it's like somebody's eavesdropping on our conversation, but the Lord apps, I mean, this was breakfast at 8am and the student was like, I don't even usually go to breakfast. I was just lost. And so here we think that we're lost and stumbling through, but God has you on a very particular path, even in the midst of what you feel like is total utter confusion. It's just so powerful the way we get to connect with other people. And if someone embraces that, they get up every day with this expectation that today literally can change a person's direction in life. So let me yes. just, let me embrace every moment, every, you know, every, every assignment, every paper I'm writing, every book, whether you're in college or, you know, every lunch date or whatever it is, you just, everything begins to take on purpose, meaning it's almost like you move into full color, surround sound. You begin to live life rather than letting life live you. Yeah. And it's, and I want to make sure everybody understands this is exhausting. I, I, I am incredibly exhausted. And so I've had to be much more intentional about like my Sabbath and about Mm. my rest and about setting up boundaries for myself um, because I don't mail anything in anymore. Right. So when I go to work, I am fully at work and I just had a student stop in my office and say, can I talk to you today? Okay. When I put you in, I'm saying you have my undivided attention for that time that we're going to spend together. That's exhausting. And so it's been more important for me to be militant and vigilant about the time that I spend to pursue God in the morning. I, that cannot be what I say. Uh, I mean, this morning, actually, I didn't want to get up at all. I stayed up too late watching a show with my husband last night and my alarm went off when I would usually get up and I was like, uh, you understand, Lord, I can't do it. And then as I laid there, I just thought, oh, I have to yep. because I don't know who God is sending to me today. Mm. And so I have to check in with him. I have to pursue him. This this is not a, like when I feel like it relationship, it can't be not the way I choose to live my life. And so I just want everybody to understand this will be exhausting. I'm not romanticizing it. Oh, sure. Um, but when we stay in relationship with Christ, I really feel like the Holy Spirit will give you energy for the people that you're trying to serve. He has for me, but also please be intentional about your Sabbath and about your rest and what that should look like for you. Yeah. It all goes, it all goes together. You can't have one without the other. Right. Yeah. So the so the moment the the time you spend in the morning with God is kind of a a, a dialing in, a zeroing in, recentering yourself into God today. What do you have for me? What what could happen? May may I be open to it? May my mind be open? May my eyes be open? Is that what you mean? Yeah, it's just me trying to make sure that I've surrendered my will. Um, I always pray, give me eyes to see people as you see them. Give me ears to hear all that you would say. I want to be in tune with the Holy Spirit because I've had moments where you think it's just you saying something. And then the person's face goes white and they're like, that was from God. And you had no idea. Yeah. That's the thing about like talking to God. I think I was under this, this, and maybe somebody else has felt this differently. I'll tell you about my own experience. I have never heard the voice of God audibly. Hmm. And I still, I would love to, sure. I will tell everybody when I do, cause I haven't, um, but it's a prayer of mine, but I have definitely heard the whisper of God hmm. and it often just sounds like my own thoughts. And so that's why I think we have to be incredibly intentional about pursuing him because it, tr- it it just gives you that faith to trust, okay, I, I'm going to say this even though there was no audible, echoey, thunderous clap telling me to say it. I'm going to say it because that still small whisper in my heart is telling me to say it, yeah. which takes a lot of faith. Yes. But it also bears so much fruit. I've seen it. Yes. So you, at, at the beginning, and the reason I'm, I'm pushing on this a little bit is because we're talking about this a little bit here at, at Forest Park, and we just had a message I presented this week about hearing God's voice and the importance of that. So uh, some people had questions regarding, you know, um, you know, how do you know it, it's God's voice? How do you not? So sometimes you, you step out. Sometimes you just, okay, I think this is what I need to say in this moment, or I think this conversation is, is God opening it. And I'm sure there are times that we miss it and, but it's okay. Even in that moment that maybe you think you have something to say to this person and you, you might not hit it you know, it might not be a home run, but you're, you're testing, you're trying, you're learning, you're growing in that. The only way I've gained confidence 
in in what I believe to be the Holy Spirit's voice in my life is by acting on it. Period. Yeah. It I've again I've never heard it audibly. And so and I tell this story in the book of the time that I felt the Holy Spirit tell me to give money to one of my students. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am, that is so inappropriate. This is a secular campus. I cannot just hand out cash right. <laughs> to students. That right. is, no, I'm going to get in trouble. And, but I, I felt it so strongly. Give them the cash that was in your wallet. And at the time I had um, $20 in my wallet and I didn't do it. Then a week passes. It's spring break. I'm in Mexico with my husband at my best friend's wedding. I am not even thinking about that interaction or about that student again. As soon as spring break is over, we're a whole week later now. And I hadn't thought of this student one time over that week in Mexico. The second she walked in the door, I heard it again, give her the money that's in your wallet. And I looked in my wallet and I had $40. So God had doubled it. And I said, okay, I'm going to be faithful. I'm just going to do this. And so I asked her to stay back after class and she did. And I said, this is really uncomfortable for me. And I have never done this in my life. But, and I, I also want you to know, I am a Christian and this is not from me. This is not me giving you anything. I genuinely believe that God is telling me to give you this $40. And as I handed it to her, she immediately started to sob. I had never had a conversation with this student. This was not, I have really good relationships with my student. This student did not seem interested in me at all. She would sit in the back with her head down, like totally mean mug me, just did not. I could tell that she thought um, like everybody else thinks she's cool, but she's she's not what what we think she is. And so when I I hand her this money and she looks at me and she starts to cry and she says, before I walked into this classroom, I prayed. And this was the first time I had prayed in years. And then I heard some of her story that she had um, grown up in uh, foster care, finally had gotten adopted, was molested by her foster or her adopted brother. And then when she told the parents, her adoptive parents, that she was being molested by their son, they got rid of her. So they sent her out. She's 17 years old, living in a halfway house in a homeless shelter. And now she has a six-month-old baby. I did not know any of this. Um, and she says, I prayed. My, my friends asked me to pray because I didn't have money for a box of diapers. And I, she said, can we pray about it? And I said, I, if there is a God, he doesn't care about me look at the history of my life. And she said, please, can we just pray? And so they prayed. And now literally 50 minutes later, I'm handing her $40. And that student to this day is a student that I is still a part of my life. Um, I actually set her up with her boyfriend that she's been with now for the last three years. We have developed a very fruitful relationship from this one encounter where you know what? This was not some thunderous voice. It was just a thought that sounded like my own voice. Give her the money. And so if I hadn't tested it, I wouldn't know. But because now I've, I've had these experiences, I could tell you 10 more of these stories. I just, again, I don't have the luxury of not saying what I feel like I'm supposed to say. And then other times, let me say this other times you say it and you have no idea that this is the Holy spirit speaking through you. You're just saying whatever you think you're, you, you think you're talking as you. And then somebody says something and they're like, you have, I just prayed about this this today. You're like, Oh, I didn't know that. Amazing. Right. So he gets to do, yep. he literally wants to live and breathe and talk and walk through his people. God is invisible because he's seen his image is seen through you. That's great. And that's a responsibility that Christians have to pick up every morning and walk out the door with. Now, did you, did, I'm curious, did you grow up with this kind of understanding of God? Because <laughs> how did, how did this happen? How did you move? That's a into good this? question. Did someone teach this to you or did, you know, did you have an influencer, a spiritual influence in your life that opened you up to this? Because so many people I meet, they do not see God speaking to them on a daily basis or directing their path in a in a in a uh, personal way. It's just this, you know, idea, abst- very abstract. Spirituality is very abstract. But you have a very personal, you know, intentional. Um, today, God may do something amazing through me, so I want to be prepared for that. I'm just curious, how did that come into your life? Scott, you just like made me tear up because I've never, I've honestly never asked myself that question. Where did I learn to see God in this way other than starting to act on it? Um, I mean, I grew up in a home with a dad who was very intentional spiritually. So I'm sure that that rubbed off on yeah. me. Um and I just, I don't know that anybody ever sat me down and had that conversation with me. Yeah. Um, I just start, oh, you know what? So this probably was a turning point for me. Okay. I think I talk about this in the book. When I was 22 year, years old, I was engaged to be married. Yes. And my dad told me, I want you to pray about this before you do. And he had never said anything negative about my fiance. And then all of a sudden, two months before my wedding, 
he says, I have a bad feeling and I want you to pray about whether you're supposed to do this. And I prayed and immediately I, I said, God, if you don't want me with this person, then please end this relationship. And within five minutes of this prayer. And I want everybody to know I, in the book, I give so many examples where I do not hear God in five minutes. So I've just given two examples where we see him immediately so much. I wish that was the case (laughs) for all of my prayers. It's not. Um, but so within five minutes, my fiance calls and he breaks up with me just like that. And so, and that, and then on the exact same night, my husband who had had my number for two years calls me and, and I've been with him ever since. There's way more in that story than I'm sharing. But the point is, I think that that seeing God be directly involved in my romantic life, in my relationship in that way, I've never been the same. Mm. And to this day, I think that there's been many times where, you know, you go through months and months and months where you don't hear God at all. I know I have. I don't see anything. I, I definitely don't feel anything. Mm. And I'm like, are you still here? And then for me, I'll look back and I'll remember that day at 22 years old, where God got me out of this horribly abusive, I probably would be dead right now looking back if I had married that person. And I just, it it changes everything for me. And I say, well, it has, it is the same God. So even if I'm not hearing him and even if I don't feel him right now, I know it's the same God in my life. So just, you hold on. Was that the first time? I I actually had a question regarding that because that was such a a moving moment when you talked about two months before the, the wedding, you had the dress, you had you had everything ready to go and the wedding was called off. I, you know, you leave a lot of the details out. So I'm sure that it was, what was it? Maybe I, maybe I don't want to assume, was it painful for you? Was that excruciatingly painful to, to, to know this wedding is over or did you immediately have peace when you felt that God was speaking to you? And did that peace last or did the peace kind of go away? And then you kind of begin to doubt yourself again. I'm just curious. Cause I know there's a lot of people who, you know, or believing or trusting or thinking maybe God is speaking to me. And, you know, it's not easy to to obey what you believe God is telling you to do at times. Yeah, it was, I did have immediate peace and it was also excruciatingly painful. Those two things coexisted for me um, for some time. I will say in my, and I kind of live life this way where I'm really lucky. I have really good parents Mm. and I have a handful of people who, when they say like God has spoken something to them, I, I wholeheartedly believe it because I've seen the fruit that their lives have bore. So I have people that again, when I don't feel peace, they help me feel it again, or they help me see it. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they'll give me a word for my life or they'll pray over me. And I just, I just trust that they hear God, even if I'm not hearing him right now. So I'm very spoiled in the sense that I have really positive God bearing relationships with people who keep me from feeling hopeless. Well, yes. I mean, even right now in some of the things I've gone through, Annie F. Downs is a dear friend of mine and she, just the life and the prayers that this woman have poured into my life, it is priceless. So when I say other people matter, I'm saying that both as somebody who tries to matter to other people, but also somebody who's had people directly impact and change my life. And be like the Holy Spirit in the room for me at the moment that I needed it. I've I've gotten to see that through other people in their relationships. Well, I, I find that very interesting in that you you have surrounded yourself, or I should say, some people have surrounded you who yes. also have the same kind of you know a pursuit of God, belief in 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 Him speaking, acting on what they believe God is saying to them. So it's almost as if I wonder sometimes, and I'd love to get your perspective on this. I, I wonder sometimes if we do not. We, we attract who we are. I believe that. Mm. I don't necessarily think we attract who we want. I think we attract who we are. People are attracted together. And because of your passion to hear from God and to act on what he's saying, you have slowly built a gathering around you of people who also want the same thing. And they can help you to discern and help you to maybe navigate through some, you know, some difficult seasons of life. Would you say that's that's true? Yes. And my parents are a massive part of my life and they always were, but I didn't go to Christians. I was expelled from my Christian school. So I went, I grew up in high school and public school. All of my, none of my friends were Christian. I don't think I had any Christian friends, um, in high school. And then I, I did summer camp, which I keep now as a teacher, I hear young people always say, I met God at summer camp. I met God at summer camp. And as a, a counselor, just it's the first time that as a young person, you have responsibility 
Right. You feel that Christian responsibility to kind of prepare the way for the next little generation of your little your little campers, right? Um, but I met friends there that to, th- to this day, my Vimbo, I talk about her in the book. Mm-hmm. I met her at Christian summer camp. She is a prayer warrior in my life to this day. She has absolutely changed my life. Um, there are things that I think God has been able to do only because she prayed. And so how do we, if you're saying, well, I don't have that, how do you be it? Yeah. How do you be that for somebody else? And then I'm somebody who prays all the time, God, send me people to do this journey with. Send me the right people. Because there's other people praying. Right. And God, I think, has the ability, the Spirit will connect us. Yeah. And I think the the the, the negative side of that is also true, that if you're a person who, you know, uh, doesn't pursue God, you're not intentionally trying to listen and to discern His Spirit we slowly attract other people who are often exactly the same, which keeps us stuck. And that that's a concern I have, you know, with yeah. with our generation today. And, you know, I don't know. It's just that, that really makes me wonder sometimes if, if um, because we don't want to hear God's voice, if we're not slowly surrounded by other people who do not want to hear God's voice, and it just cre- it causes us to be even stuck in a deeper muck and mire, if you will, of just uh, never hearing from, from him. Yeah, so. the the greatest contributor to our happiness, outranking how much money you make or what degree you have, is your relationships with other people, yeah. period. Yep. And this is my field. This is what I do. Yep. This is what I teach is communication, which is the study of other people in our relationships yep. and how we communicate with one another. I just did this lecture with my students today. I said, you guys, we are incredibly intentional about fi- finishing school. We are incredibly intentional about how much money we're going to make. We're incredibly intentional about our social media accounts. Why in the world are we just like kind of haphazardly going through our relationships? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. You've got to be really intentional about the people you bring into your life and also being a person who brings life to other people. We have to be intentional about that. Yeah. So good. Well, in, in chapter three, uh, actually, it's the same chapter you talk about. Uh, it's your turn uh, to say it out loud, where you tell the story about your your wedding that was canceled. Okay. Yeah, a little further into that chapter, and it's a question that I want to ask you about. It, it, you, you mentioned there's 3,500 promises in Scripture. And I'd, I'd love to know, because there's a part of that about how if you don't read it, it's not there to be brought up to encourage you. So what role does scripture play in your life? And I think you've already began begun to talk about that somewhat about every morning spending some time with God. I'd love for our audience though to hear from someone like yourself to just what role does scripture play in your life? How important is it for you after all these years? Do you still find yourself learning new things and pursuing new things and studying new things or or just talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah. Scripture is the hill I will die on. And I know that especially in like, you know, just as culture changes, I think it's something that um, people are holding less and less closely and I've never held it closer. Um, I absolutely believe it's the inspired word of God because of what you just said. I'm on my, I'm about to start my 12th time through reading scripture and every single time I learn something new. And I'm not talking about in that year, I'll learn almost every single day. As I engage with the word of God, it engages with me Hmm. and God speaks to me. And it's this, I don't know how to, I don't know how to describe it other than I see a direct correlation to my time pursuing God and his word and changes that have taken place in my personality. I, I really think God has actually changed me as a human being and as a person as I've met him in his word. And I don't, I wish I could quantify or say, this is exactly the steps that you do. I have no idea. Um, I just know that that's been my experience. And so I tell everybody that I can. And, and I, I just, I posted this on Twitter the other day because I just remember my dad saying to me, because I'm very passionate about scripture. And I tend to think in absolutes and I'm trying not to do that because I don't think things are as absolute or black and white as we try to make them. But I just remember saying to my dad once, you know, every Christian should read their Bible cover to cover. And he said, is God only saving readers? And that was a moment for me where I said, of course, like, I know that, of course not. (laughs) So I want to be clear. Um, God is not only saving readers. I am just telling you what has impacted and changed my life. And for you, but I'm also a reader. Right. right. Like right. I read books anyway. I'm an academic. So that is part of my natural personality. I don't want anyone to carry shame if they feel like, well, that's, I, 
reading is very hard for me. I'm dyslexic, right? I can't just sit down Mm -hmm. and read. So can you listen? I just say we have got to find time to build scripture into our day and let it speak over you. My husband has been listening to about half a book of Bible a day on audio. And that's something all of us can do. And he's more of like a Nate. He really feels God when he's out in nature on hikes or camping. That's where he feels like God really meets, which for me, that's not how I feel God, right? So we all are wired different ways, but just pursue him in whatever it is you find him. And then there is something about the word of God. And I think it allows us to arm our brains with things that God has said, because the devil is always whispering in your ear saying, did he really? Did he say that? Are you sure? I still hear that to this day. I just went through an experience recently where I said, I don't know, this is, I'm going to look so stupid. This is going to be so embarrassing. This is not what God has said to me. And if I didn't have the word to go back to and to stand on, um, I'd be on really shaky ground. And so I just, as a communication professor, I can tell people without a doubt, words change the brain. And so I am really passionate about making sure we are speaking the word of God into our lives. Now, in your in your daily interaction with students, uh, are you able to share some of, I don't know your university enough to know whether or not you're able to be free with you know, your, your growth spiritually or your, your view of scripture. Is that something that you get a chance to speak to some of the younger uh, students and, yeah, and share I'm these at views? A, I'm at a Christian school now. So, and I have been for the last uh, six or so years of my okay. professional life. And so I am, that's what I love about being on a Christian campus is that I can have those conversations yeah. because I want them to then go out and be faithful to what God has put in their hands. It's the only way we can make a difference. It can't be just Heather. We have got to figure out how do I multiply this thing so that there's hundreds of us. And so for me as a teacher, I get to meet almost 200 students a semester. What an honor to serve them in that way. And then hopefully connect them on their own spiritual journey as they, as I can mentor them as I can so that they can go out and do all the awesome things that God has called them to do. That's great. Are you encouraged by what you hear from, from these young adults uh, regarding their view of scripture? Because we hear so much negative talk regarding this generation and the way they see scripture and the deconstruction movement. And, you know, you can't trust scripture and it's filled with contradictions. And so many of our, you know, I'm a pastor of a local church just with the average, you know, family who sends their kids to college. Many of them come back. You know, they see they see no reason to read scripture. Their professors have really done everything they can to, you know, to take a sledgehammer, if you will, to to the scriptures and to church and Christ. I'm just curious from your vantage point, talking with these young, intelligent adults getting an education, are you encouraged or where do you see some challenges? I am incredibly encouraged that God is God. Yeah. I am incredibly encouraged that God is attractive. Um I just the other day said to my students, you know what? Cause I've had so many of them just come in my office and say various things that I'm realizing there's a problem. And so I asked my class, I have probably 40 students in this class. And I said, if we were to do a little Bible study at 8 AM on a Friday morning or a Thursday morning, how many of you would come? And I probably had 20, probably half of them raise their hands and say that they would come. Mm-hmm. I am incredibly sure that God is still moving and working in his people. And what I would say is that this generation needs mentorship. Hmm. They need adults to care and to listen and to have conversations with them and to tell them, and especially, I think there's such an opportunity because this generation is super focused on being successful. They're the first generation that's more focused on career success than, than marriage, than even having relationships. All they can think about is, I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, and I'm going to pay off all these loans and blah, blah, blah. So I think there's a huge opportunity for adults who are in the careers that these kids want to be in to mentor them through their careers and to have a relationship in that way to say, hey, this is what I experienced as I was going through graduate school. This is what happened. And then as we develop relationship, we can always keep pouring in where people start to trust our word and trust our advice and see how we live with integrity. And they, I think God is attractive. Even I've had conversations, and this is when I was teaching at Purdue at a secular school, and I was teaching an engineering class. I wasn't teaching engineering, but my students were all engineering majors taking a small group communication class. And I was really moved when I saw how attractive God still was. They would come up to me and have conversation about God, even though most of them said that they were atheists. Mm. 
right? So when we live in such a way um, that really looks like the loving God that we claim to be serving, I think people see it. And they and in his spirit draws them to you. That's great. Well, I can only imagine the impact that you're having with your with your passion you. and with your excitement on these young adults. And um, I think it's awesome. So again, hey, I want to move into uh, chapter five a little bit because uh, actually, I'm sorry, chapter four. I love the the part where you say spiritual practices like meditation and prayer are not just imaginary moments. They are neurologically transformative. That's kind of what you were saying a moment ago. And then you, there's a section in there about what do you see? And, and yeah. every day beginning to pray, God, open my eyes. Let me, let me see. So you're talking about when, when you spend time in prayer, when you meditate, when you read scripture, a moment ago, you, you, you mentioned it quickly. I love to open it up just a little bit more about how your brain actually changes. Yeah. It completely rewires itself. What do you mean by that? So here's one small thing. Like if you, I tell my students, if they're not feeling well about themselves or about their lives, your brain is wired to think negatively. It's how we survive. Mm -hmm. It is normal for you to have negative thoughts. So you have to actually tell your brain to think positively. I think sometimes we don't realize that. And so we just kind of sit in our own negativity and we think that the positive things come naturally. It actually doesn't. And so I tell my students, if every night, just this semester for the next, I think it's eight weeks, um, you write down three positive things about your relationship with God, about how you see your life, about what you've seen in yourself that day, three positive things before you go to bed, within eight weeks, your brain changes. Hmm. It rewires your brain to start to have increased positivity. So much so that after eight weeks, your brain starts to do it automatically. Where you used to have to force your brain to think positively, it will start to become a natural path that your brain chooses to take. So we have, we, I think of my brain as like, I talk to my brain. I think of it as like this machine that needs communication and I have to like tune it right. and I have to train it to respond in the ways that I want it to respond because there's, there's biological natural things that happen if we don't try to take control of it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. So like even just saying, like I'll say to my brain, if, if I start to freak out about something or if I want to go to like to a coping strategy, like I'm stressed. One of my coping strategies in stress would be to move to scroll my phone online, right? right. Um, it, it's our, my brain's way of like just trying to numb yep. everything else that I'm feeling. So I will say out loud, hey, brain, I know that you're trying to help me right now. I know that you're trying to keep me safe. I know that you're trying not to feel anything, but this is not the strategy that we're going to pick. Instead, I'm going to go on a walk hmm. and then I go on my walk and I I have my prayer out loud. You you. Your brain is always trying to help you, but how do you give it positive coping strategies to deal with the stressful situation called life yeah. that we all find ourselves in? Your brain is always going to look for a coping strategy. It's mm -hmm. natural and it's normal because it's trying to help you. That's why do we eat food that is bad for us? It is our brain trying to dull bad, like bad, greasy, sugary foods. And I'm a huge proponent of doing this. If anybody watches my Instagram stories, you know, I stop at Chick-fil-A almost every day. <laughs> Those types of foods dull my brain senses. That's why I'm seeking them out, right? So you have to say out loud, I understand what's happening, but here's the choice that I'm going to make today because that's not a good coping strategy for us today. Right. Absolutely. So it's just being intentional as we go through life and understanding that your brain is always trying to help you. But sometimes we'll pick whatever is easiest, not what's best. So that that goes back to the importance of spending time every morning, like in prayer and meditation and scripture, because yeah. that is literally changing the way you're going to see the rest of the day. And eventually, if you do that long enough, it'll change the way you see all of life. Yes. You'll start I, seeing everything through the grid of scripture. You'll start seeing everything through the grid of meditation and prayer. And you're, the world becomes a, a a spiritual place rather than just a secular place. Yeah. And a really great book I recommend um, for people to read on that is called uh, How God Changes the Brain. Hmm. And it's written by two neuroscientists who are not Christian, but they started studying like spiritual practices and yep. um, meditation. And the research that they found was just so amazing on how good it is for your brain to develop. We become more empathetic when we meditate. Hmm. And for me, that looks like meditating on the word of God. I have, I will just type into YouTube Bible verses on peace. And I'll sit in my room in the dark for and set my alarm for like 15 minutes and just let scripture wash over me. Or I'll play it as I go for a walk and just try to listen to it and believe that this word is still applicable to me right now in my current circumstance, even if I can't feel it. No, 
That's so good. Well, two more things. I want to honor okay. your time, okay? Well, one is in uh, chapter five, okay? Uh, I love this concept of your God is too big. And yeah. you, you talked to a friend of yours said to you, you know, Heather, your, your God is too big. Now, I've always heard, and, and you were very clear in, 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 in your chapter that, you know, we've always thought, well, he's, of course, he's supposed to be big. And most of the time you hear people say, well, your God is too small. So you need to right. you know, think bigger. And I get that. But this chapter deals with the fact that maybe maybe your God is not small enough, meaning that he you, you have a concept of God that doesn't get into the nitty gritty parts of life. I just thought that was absolutely beautiful. Me too. Yeah. And that conversation, I still replay that conversation that I had with Tassiana, um, where she said that to me. And, and the context was, I was just feeling, I, I think this book, it was actually this book had been rejected for like the 10th time hmm. by a publisher. And I went to lunch with her and I just said, I really thought God told me to write this book. And I had only had maybe three chapters of it done for a proposal. And I was like, but I keep, I keep, I really thought this one was going to go through and the door closes. And she just said to me, your life doesn't start at your book deal. Hmm. <laughs> like your life doesn't start at some metaphorical there when you hit the mountaintop and now God is going to work with you. I guess in the language I was using, she was under the impression that that's how I was seeing God and that's how I was seeing right. my life, that it will start someday then. Yeah. And she said, life starts right here. And God, she, she literally said to me, God is in this lunch. And when you walk across this campus, he's with you there. And when you teach your class, he's wanting to speak through you there. And so I really see this again, we go back to the understanding that did Tassiana realize that her having that conversation with me at lunch was going to change how I live the next four years of my life? Yeah. Probably not. No. Um, did she even know that the Holy Spirit was speaking through her? Maybe, I don't know. But absolutely, for me, that was one of the definitive moments in my life, looking back, where I said, I've got to do things differently. And from that moment on is when I've started trying to live this really present, faithful life, practicing integrity with the things that he's actually put in my hand because of this one lunch that I had with yeah. my friend. And seeing God in all the small details of life is absolutely beautiful. And again, it goes back to you, you had a friend in your life who, who could speak to you about God and understands yes. these concepts. I mean, that is invaluable. I mean, it's, it's just so it, valuable. Oh, goodness. It's just uh, that's unbelievable. Well, again, that personally for me, it was a it was a challenging uh, read there in, in, in the chapter. Uh, the last thing I just want to ask you about, and I thought this was I know this is a big concept, so we don't have maybe much time, but the cognitive dissonance. Uh, this is in chapter seven, I believe. Uh, it's called It's Your Turn to Network. The idea that our brains like to be in congruence with our actions. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, we don't often change our actions. We change our beliefs. I mm -hmm. have always assumed the opposite. Mm -hmm. And what that means for those of you who are listening to this and you're not sure exactly is that what, what we're talking about, the, the cognitive dissonance is that, that you know, if our, if our actions and our beliefs are not aligned, they, they be, it begins to fight to get aligned. And I just assumed that if we changed our beliefs, you know, our actions would, would you know, kind of drop down or step up to our beliefs. But in your book, you were talking about how we'll actually just change our beliefs because we, we seem to value our actions more and mm -hmm. we want our beliefs to be in line. Is that correct? Yeah. So the, the big study that they do for this one on cognitive dissonance is with smoking Yeah. and how essentially what happens is people no longer believe smoking will kill them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the only way to keep doing something that is in effect killing me is to believe, well, it's not actually going to hurt me. That's something that happens to everybody else. And so, yeah, that it's just this really powerful understanding to know that people tend to change um, their belief system and how they see the world quicker than they'll... It's really important to know that your brain really loves continuity and it really loves... Life is so stressful, so your brain wants to take the fastest route. So just know that. The fastest route, even if that route is going to kill you, It'll keep doing what is natural based on the things that you've taught it to do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It takes twice as long to unlearn something as it does to learn something. So that's why I say to my students, I did a little bit, my dissertation was on storytelling. So I spent like five years reading a bunch of neuroscience literature to understand how stories impacted the brain. But then I got lost in this world of neuroscience for a while there. And it was, I just tell my students, be so careful with what you watch 
because your brain is a machine and you're constantly teaching it things. Even if you say, oh, this is just like a silly movie or this is just like a 10 minute pornography, like this isn't actually impacting me. Anybody who reads a tiny bit of neuroscience will realize that your brain is incredibly sensitive Mm. and everything impacts everything. And so again, that's why I think we have to be 10 times more intentional with the positive things that we teach ourselves. So it's much, it's much easier to form a habit than break it. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's very powerful. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is because you don't, you know, you don't, I don't know. I've just never thought about that before, but that's so powerful. So it's easy to fall into a habit and then, but it's much more difficult, twice as difficult to get out of the habit that you formed. So everything you read, every, every movie, every, every, you know, just cruising Facebook or Instagram or whatever, all the videos, all the conversations, all the worldviews that you absorb begins to change and rewire your brain. Yeah. In this article, it's called Change or Die. And people can look it up. It's called Change or Die. Um, People based on their health habits were told that they had to make a change or they would actually die. 90% of those people died within a year. People were more likely to die than change. And so a really great book, I just read it, I think last January, it's called Atomic Habits. Mm -hmm. So, 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 so good. One of the best books I've read this year on just how we can get in better lifestyle habits. And I take, I mean, it's not a spiritual book, but I always- Yeah, I'm very familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, I always make everything spiritual, but it was just like, he was saying how you have to start saying, what would a healthy person do? Yeah. Right? So if whatever it is, my, my mentor would put it this way. He always says, assume the role. Heather, where do you want to be 10 years from now? What type of person are you going to be? You assume that role now. You don't wait again. God is small. We don't wait till we're at some mountaintop to suddenly become the person of integrity that we believe God has called us to be. We start that change. We, you assume the role today. Whoever you think you're going to be, Scott, 10 years from now, you make those choices that Scott of 10 years from now would make today. Mm. And that's how you get there. Wow. And that type of thinking that in education, we call it backwards design, that type of thinking to think backwards 10 years from now to my present day choices has been really helpful for me as I map out how I want to live my life today. That's so good. Well, Heather, it has been a true honor to talk with you today. I Thank mean you. That. It really is. And folks, again, the book, it's it's not your turn. Please pick up the book. Go to heatherthompsonday.com. Grab it. Again, get one for a friend. It would be a wonderful book study uh, for people to go through. I think it would be a great sermon series to take a church through. Thank you. Um, it would just be uh, amazing to learn and to grow. And hopefully that will inspire people to check out more of what you do, other books that you've written. And I know that you do speaking in churches as well. So there are times that you go in and, and bring messages to uh, churches. Yes. Yeah, I'll so. be in Minnesota this weekend. Oh, will you? Well, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, congratulations on the success of the book and everything that you're doing. And again, I just covered just a very, uh, not even half the book. And these are just <laughs> little pieces out of the book. So hopefully people will go and, and grab that and it will be a, a blessing to their life and they will be uh, a better person because of you coming into their life. And one book Thank could you. change the rest of their life. So, thank you so much. Yeah, so take it and, and read it. Well, thank you again so very, very much. 